Broadcasting live from Serenity Valley, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. Yeehaw, I'm, I'm a cowboy. <laughs> I'm Ricardo. Yippee, yippee. <laughs> Weirdly concise, but very on theme for today, Ricardo. I love it. And before we get into news, we just want to give a follow-up on last week's episode. If you didn't listen in, we had my sister, Claire Strother, on as a special guest, talking Fearless Taylor's version. And as per usual, when we have a guest for the pop quiz, the format was a little different. And the stakes were that if she won, she got to told us she got to tell us a topic that we had to include for the next four weeks, so starting with this week. And we have to include the words evermore and folklore naturally into our conversation. So I'm pretty excited to see how we figure out how to work that one in. Yeah, this will be easier than the old uh, Fifty Shades trilogy. So you guys gotta you gotta come in clutch for that stuff with me this time. <laughs> but let's go ahead and move on into news, starting with some pretty exciting news, I think, which is we have. We have movement on the Indiana Jones front. Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Mads Mikkelsen have joined the cast of Indiana Jones 5, and it has been confirmed by Lucasfilm that John Williams will be returning to score the, like, you know, with his iconic theme. Hell yeah, man. I love I love Mads Mikkelsen with all my heart, and he's, you know, I can only pray that he's going to be the bad guy in this like who else would he be he's very good at being a bad guy but he also played like a farmer dad in star wars so who built the death star i guess he was still with the empire yeah yeah maybe you're right you're right something that we missed i think that was a really big problem for the bad indiana jones movies which would be two and four is the fact that they don't really have strong supporting characters like you've got your your indie action and then you've also got like the two pretty much in indiana jones you've got like indie and then you've got a guy sidekick and the love interest but then you have but in the good ones you also have all of these super lovable like even farther out sidekick characters like marcus stumbling around that egyptian market you're just like oh, i love you marcus you're great you, f- you fill out this world. Exactly. Where is Short Round? Is he in this movie? <laughs> he better be. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's bring back adult Short Round interacting with <laughs> Mutt Williams, and there you got yourself a Disney Plus show. All I'm saying is, I feel like, even though obviously we want Mads Mikkelsen to be the bad guy, he could be a really strong, like, supporting character to Indiana Jones. I th- I-, I was just going to say, you know, he he's a older man usually plays a very distinguished kind of character he could be like a fellow archaeologist pal or something i don't know phoebe waller bridge just slowly crawling her way to real life harrison ford (laughs) (laughs) well i really i really hope that she is less of a damsel than indiana jones women tend to be just that because I think Karen Allen fought really hard for Marion to be, you know, a a strong woman. And then obviously you've got the whole Elsa twist in Last Crusade. But I still think a lot of their role tends to just be like, be in peril so Indiana Jones can save them. 
And I think it'd be a little interesting to see, especially now that we've got older Indiana Jones, that, that like maybe she's saving him a little bit. She's just his live-in nurse who's come along for the adventure because <laughs> he's 85 and shouldn't be outside. Uh, yeah, are we going to do another time jump to like the 70s now? We're, we're going to have like a hippie fight instead of like a greaser fight. It'll be great. Or maybe she's the villain. Oh, that would be fun. And Mads Mikkelsen is the nurse. That would be cool. I mean, maybe they could both be the villain. You know, usually Spielberg has um, a, a ideology for Indiana Jones films that there is a a evil villain and a champagne villain. And so there's the evil villain who does all the like grunt work and the killing and stuff. And then there's the champagne villain who doesn't like to get his hands dirty and isn't really cut out for the violent stuff. He just wants, you know the money or whatever like he's belloc you know belloc is the champagne villain and tote is the evil villain in raiders right sure there's the oh now i'm forgetting his name in crusade what is that guy's real name did he ever do anything that's not being a nazi because he's got an extreme case of nazi face ronald lacy yeah i mean like he's in stuff but that is definitely his most famous role do you think he's ever played another nazi do you think he got typecast after that I mean, what would you cast him as? <laughs> uh, Russian general guy? <laughs> Gulag? He's in Buckaroo Banzai. Is he a Nazi? He's the president. That doesn't answer the question, Carrot. Boom, oh, political. God. <laughs> Take that, the establishment. <laughs> oh, God. You know... I love to see John Williams back. Of course, he is one of the most iconic composers of any of my, you know, childhood movie obsessions. So, glad to see him coming back. I I know he is done making new stuff for Star Wars, and I can only... I don't know how many more Indiana Jones he has in him, but I'm sure he'll really... He'll bring that fire along with him for this one. I know... No matter if it's his uh, last one or not. Absolutely. And with more casting news, we've got a couple of uh, DC editions. We've got Pilu Azbak. I am sure I'm butchering that, especially considering the fact that we've talked about him on this show multiple times. Um, who's, you know, Euron Greyjoy from Game of Thrones and another guy with Nazi face because he's the Nazi from Overlord. The Oh, yeah. He is. Oh, yeah. I forgot he was in Overlord. And so, I mean, this, uh, he's, uh, did I say he's in Aquaman 2? Yeah, he's in, he's joining the cast of Aquaman 2, which, I mean, he's a, I'm, again, assuming villain, because he's, he's got a formidable figure and seems to like aquatics. I'm trying to think of Aquaman villains they haven't already used. That last one was so bloated. There's only one movie. Did they, use, did they burn them all already? I, that's the only new DC Snyderverse, the whatever thing I haven't seen. They shoved Black Manta, Ocean Master, The Trench, uh, that uh, prehistoric dimension. I mean, they've got theoretically, right? They've got theoretically a whole universe of DC villains they could pull from, right? I'm sure they've got some interesting villain they've got in their back pocket ready to use, but you know, I gotta, I gotta watch Aquaman one first. I think there's so much buzz, like weird news around Aquaman two. I gotta, I gotta get to it. And then something I think that we're all a little bit more excited about is 
Lucy Liu is stepping up to join Shazam 2, Fury of the Gods, as the goddess Calypso, sister of Helen Mirren's character. Awesome. I really like Lucy Liu. She does cool and funny things. I don't know. It's I I think I mean it's the Fury of the Gods. Is she gonna be a villain? She's a goddess. Yeah, I'm assume I'm assuming that we're gonna have Fury of the Gods implies to me that we're gonna have several gods stepping up to the plate to take on Shazam and his crew. So I'm excited to see where this goes. Where is Mr. Mind? I was <laughs> promised Mr. Mind. Oh, that's gonna be the biggest Thanos payoff of them all, dude. I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> I really want the Thanos of the DC universe to be Mr. Mind. Yeah, I mean I'm excited for this movie. I'm ex- I'm I'm afraid that after Shazam 1's success and critical acclaim, that it will not be allowed to be replicated because too many WB execs will get involved and there will be too much money thrown at it. Oh, God, I hope not, but... Fingers crossed Shazam could just fly, fly under the radar before it gets, like, picked apart. Coming up next, we've got the Cartoon Cartoons short series uh, being revived for television, Ricardo... I think you know a little bit more about the history of this series than we do, so if you want to fill us in. Uh, yeah, sure. The original cartoon cartoons with a short series, I think, back in, like, the 90s. And that's where shows like uh, Dexter's Lab, Kids Next Door, Billy and Mandy, that's where those got their start. And this is really cool that they're bringing cartoon cartoons back. And they said in their uh, their press release thing, it's going to have, like, a focus on, like, diverse voices and it's just, it's like a pilot program, essentially. So we'll get a bunch of new shorts, and the most popular ones, they those are the ones that get raised up. It's like, oh, maybe we should make this a full series. This is really cool that they brought this back. Yeah, that is awesome. I, I'm sure we're going to get some, like, really amazing new stuff from Cartoon Network over here. That is, that's really awesome to hear. It seems like a lot of organizations right now are taking chances on you know, unknown filmmakers and really prioritizing making sure that the voices are given shots are diverse. You look at something like uh, Pixar Spark Shorts or the new, what's the new Disney Plus one? That's very similar of like eight unknown filmmakers getting the chance to make their own shorts. And so I'm really glad. I think it seems like they were ahead of the curve on this one already by doing it that long ago, and it seems like the perfect time to bring it back. Especially with the technology now, because they can actually like get online polls and stuff. Like, all right, which one do the people really want? Instead of just kind of like a guess, like what what got the most ratings that day? Yeah, I think that's that's very true too. And that, like the availability of streaming to actually compare them quickly and easily and have access to them in a way that they would not have in the nineties. Yeah, well maybe this is real, real cool. We're getting the the groundworks of, for some new classics, another Powerpuff Girls, another, uh, you know, Kids Next Door. Uh, next up, we got a little bit of uh, HBO's The Last of Us series news. Gabriel Luna has been cast as uh, Joel's brother, Tommy. Gabriel Luna seems a little young to me. I guess Pedro Pascal. He's probably not that much younger than Pedro Pascal. But we we liked him in Terminator, I think, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I was going to say, that's really the only thing I know him from. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember Tommy doing a whole lot in that game. But, you know, it's a series. <laughs> Do what you want. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I'm sure they're going to put him in, like, Logan-style, like, hard life makeup on their faces anyway, where it's just, like, wrinkles and cracks. So they're, they're, they're going to make him look right, I'm sure. Tommy, while not maybe being a huge role is a very important role like he he's the impetus for a lot of the stories yeah the first like 15 minutes of that game tommy's like the biggest badass Mm-hmm. yeah exactly and then when i mean he's ultimately i don't want to get into spoilers for the last of us too much but like you know he's really in a lot of ways the reason that joel and ellie end up being connected yeah that's true and i haven't gotten too far into the last of us too but i know he you know, sticks around for the sequel. I, I'm not sure how much he has to do, but it, it he's got another pretty dramatic uh, opening. Uh, that, that much I know. So, I mean, like, this, yeah, this seems like good casting. I'm excited to see Gabriel Luna getting get more to do. And we've also got another piece of confounding Last of Us news, which is that apparently a Last of Us remake is in development. Is, is Last of Us poised to be the GTA 5 of these new generations, guys? Not that the GTA 5 isn't the GTA 5 of next gen? Who wanted this? We got the game already. It's not even that old. <laughs> it's It's been remastered. It's been upgraded on the remaster for the PS5. It's not that old. Yeah, they like they went all out, I'm pretty sure, to make this game, like last long they don't need a remake it's it, it's very it's very confusing yeah i was gonna say doesn't it already run 4k 60 frames the only way i can see a re- them trying to do a remake is if they remake it so it's closer to the show <laughs> oh which god is really dumb yeah or like do another perspective of it but there's already like a couple of pretty important perspective switches in the first game anyway so i don't know it's Tommy's story. I don't know. I mean, that that does actually sound kind of good to me. But, I mean, this is a pretty transparent cash grab, I'd say. And from what I've read, it sounds like Naughty Dog is pretty, like, shot, surprisingly not going to have any next-gen PlayStation games coming out soon. So I think this is maybe a scramble to stay relevant and kind of fill that, that income void. I mean, if you've got—I mean, think about Shadow of the Colossus. Shadow of the Colossus wasn't really that long between the remaster and the and the remake for PS4. Yeah, but mm-hmm. even then, there was at least a whole generation difference between. I don't know. I just—I go back to like the original remaster runs like perfectly on a next gen system, and that's that's where I fall flat on it. Yeah, it's really confounding, but I think. We'll have to see what they do with it to really give it any judgment because the only thing that's really been confirmed is that there's a Last of Us remake in development and not any developmental details beyond that. So if they put a fun twist on it, I'm open. I'm not going to play this Last of Us remake, but then again, maybe I will. Who knows? Uh, you're going to play it for the show, Seamus. Oh, that's true. We're slaves to the Naughty Dog process. And just like actual Naughty Dog employees. Uh... Oh, jeez, Louise. Got him. Take that, the establishment. Take that, unions. <laughs> um, lastly, we've got a 
finally some resolution to the whole fire festival debacle that went viral a couple years back and there is a court financial settlement with 277 ticket holders so those people got some got some financial compensation and that's that's good for them it's about time yeah god what a what a saga we're gonna get a second documentary someday about like the legal battle of fire festival that i will totally watch it's such a glorious disaster yeah like at no part in the process did this go right truly but i i watched those documentaries with just like I mean, like, I'm horrified, but it's the biggest, like, open mouth smile on my face when I watch those people just, like, scrambling for tents. It's the weirdest. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. They're just <laughs> awful. rich and, like, foolhardy, and they're like, yeah, I'll go to this weird island. Ah, uh, I don't know. It's uh, Firefest. Uh, what's her name with the turtleneck and the, the blood thing? And Enron. Just like I'm fascinated by colossal disasters. Well, at least some of these people got some something back. Do we know how much they got in financial settlement? Because like I know, I know the whole scam of it was like thousands and thousands of dollars had to be put in to go. So it's two million dollars. So that comes out to about seven thousand two hundred and twenty dollars each. That's pretty good, right? That's pretty good. Should we have gone to Firefest? <laughs> oh, I would have done anything <laughs> to go to Firefest, knowing what I know now. Oh, Seamus is like, I want to have the worst <laughs> week of my life. Oh, it would be the best. It would be like survival stories, man. Speaking of survival stories, let's move on to our main segment, boys. I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm itching to hear your thoughts. Burn the land, boil the sea, you can't take the sky from me. You would not believe your eye if one season a firefly <laughs> you got canceled back bastard. in 2002. Oh, the most heartbreaking cover. It started in 2002, you idiot. Oh, you fool. Oh, no. We are probably cutting that <laughs> Um, we are talking the limited one-season, 14-episode cult series, Firefly, in honor of its new comic being released, uh, brand new verse, which I have not been able to get my hands on yet, despite no lack of trying, uh, which we'll kind of talk about a little bit in spoilers, I'd say, because even though we're not talking about the movie Serenity today, which serves as the show's finale, we will probably touch a little bit on, you know, what happens in that film. So we're not going to get into spoilers just yet, so we're just going to start out with general thoughts about Firefly, especially because this is Seamus's first time watching. Yeah, man, I absolutely loved it. Honestly, that because the first episode is an hour and a half like movie premiere, and obviously it was great. And you know, it takes a couple episodes. I was a little like obviously enjoying everything, but then once I got into the groove of everything, I just burned through all fourteen of those episodes. I I loved it. You got used to you got used to all the Chinese and the the made up slang. I I really wish they told me what they were saying in Chinese, man. I it just said like parentheses Chinese every time they would speak which was getting me but there's some there's some resources you can you can find online that that translate the the Chinese cuss words <laughs> oh lovely I, I, I'm into that I was hoping like the blu-ray I know I 
I don't know if both of you have it. I know one of you have like a really nice Blu-ray box set for Firefly. I, I would hope they have some Chinese translations in that. You know, I actually don't know if they do. They have a they have a map of the verse, which is pretty cool, and it breaks down like where the planets are and what solar systems they're in, and it kind of gives you a clearer picture of how the universe is laid out. And it has little character cards that go down into the into the history and backstory of each character. That's rad. But I don't know if it has anything like that on the special features. I'll have to I'll have to deep dive on that a little bit more. I am disappointed that the Blu-ray doesn't have the folksy recaps at the beginning of every episode, where either Shepard Book or Mal gives you like the lowdown on the Firefly world and the events in the story so far. What? I think it's so dumb because I love those. I love them. I like those intros. They they cut those from the Blu-ray. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan. Ricardo, what what are you thinking about this stuff? Oh yeah, that's where they uh, get their more more or less their tagline, right? The you know find a ship, find a crew, keep flying. Yeah. Uh. I just love space man, and westerns. So combine these two, and I'm just having a, a grand old time. It really is. I think the first the first show or film that I've ever seen that really harnesses the idea of space as the final frontier and taking that like very literally of it being the frontier and turning it into a western and there's a there is a real a real brilliance in that and uh we'll probably we'll probably get to the joss whedon conversation in a minute but (laughs) i do think that it is worth noting that joss whedon who's that (laughs) who created this series, which is the perfect combination of Cowboy and Spaceman, uh, man's two great fantasies, Um, that Joss Whedon, of course, is the script doctor who fixed Toy Story. Oh, yeah, I definitely remember you saying that about, like, how he, he got brought in to do a little doctoring up on when Woody was, like, a huge jerk in the script. It's weird none of that rubbed off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. But once again, the perfect marriage of Cowboy and Spaceman. So, truly, it it is like poetry. It rhymes. And I know I already made that joke earlier with you guys, but it wasn't on the air. So, Seamus, I just, I, I'm just dying. I want more thoughts. I want your favorite character. I want your favorite episode. I want to know. You know what? You, you want to go through kind of character by character a little bit? Give, uh, you know, Seamus, give us a brief, you know, thoughts on each character. Yeah, man, I'm down for that. It's such a classic-y feeling, like, Western group of folk. You know, I, obviously, Mal Reynolds... How could you do anything but love the man? He's just like a swashbuckler with a code, very, you know, Han Solo-y. Nathan Fillion, you magnificent bastard. Like, he's so great. I feel like I haven't seen him in enough, but I've seen him in this, and I've fallen very fastly in love with him. Um, I'm trying to think, who should I even go to next? I mean... Uh, Shepard Book? How about we can go through that? <laughs> I love, I love, like literally the farthest character from Mal. Just like, what's the opposite end of the spectrum here? <laughs> <laughs> but l- legit, my like favorite character. I loved Shepard Book. I I was gonna like, I wanted that 
damn backstory so bad the whole time I was watching. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just tease you through the whole thing. The whole time. Ah, oh, how does a preacher know so much about crap? You'll have to tell us one day. He's like, oh, maybe. And then... Maybe in season two, dear boy. <laughs> <laughs> the tragedy of Shepherd Book's storyline. Uh. Well, I'll loan you the comic sometime, Seamus, that, that gives you the answers. Oh, please. I would love that. Uh, Kaylee, I loved her. She was, like, so happy-go-lucky. What is she, Seamus? What is she? Who is she? What's her What's her deal? Kaylee? Oh, the she's the engine operator. There's a word for that. Mechanic. Yeah, she's the mechanic of the the ship and she is just like i don't know like bubbly in the perfect way that doesn't quite annoy me that sometimes extra bubbly characters would but she she's just so sweet all the time i, I love her uh we got the is it tate what are their last names the brother and sister the tams tams not tates yeah simon and um the other one river river of course very specific name I love Alan Tudyk in literally everything he's in, and he, he's definitely up there for one of my favorite characters. He's just he's just the perfect comic relief kind of guy in that position. Alan Tudyk stays working, man. <laughs> he really does. Yeah, I, I don't want to get... Nope, never mind. I'm not even going to go there yet about his character wake is his name wash wash is his name and i i need to i was even saying today like i i want to rewatch the series already because i'm sure there's a ton that i missed like apparently most of the character names i would say it really takes like three watch throughs to to understand the depth of the storytelling and how interconnected everything is and everything that's going on in the background of that world because it is so wholly conceived from the first episode god man what i wouldn't do for and I know I'm about, like, 30 years too late here, but <laughs> what I wouldn't do for another season of Firefly, man, God. Well, in spoilers, I'll break down some of the stuff that, that they were looking at doing, but real quick, okay, you've got a couple more crew members to... Yeah, let's talk about uh, Wash's other half. Yes, I love their relationship. Um, what's her name again in this show? Zoe. Zoe. I love Zoe, and I love her and Wash's marital relationship i think it is something that maybe could have been played out super long if they decided to but like from the jump they're like very loving and i i like that a lot and zoe's like a huge badass and i love her just in general alone inara she is totally elegant and wonderful and i love that she can you know obviously go up toe-to-toe with mal um that actress was in Gotham, and she was great in Gotham, too. <laughs> Had to bring it up at least once. Might come up again later. Um, did, is that everybody in the crew? Did, oh, uh, my boy. Jane. The man they call Jane. Dude, I love Jane. He's such a bastard in everything. I really thought a lot worse stuff was going to happen to him by the end of Firefly, but... Oh, man, I, I thought he was... He's not, like, a Baldwin Baldwin, is he? No, he's not, like, a Baldwin Baldwin, even though you would not be the first person to make that mistake. Okay. <laughs> All right, just just making sure before I go off on that whole Baldwin thing. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's a delight and the worst. And, you know, I also, again, wish I got more of him, but, you know, here we are. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think where we even go. 
because I, th- I I really want to start getting into specifics, so I think maybe we just call spoilers? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you guys even need to say, like, how much you like Firefly and your non-spoiler stuff for people to get it, but... I mean, it is genuinely probably my favorite series. Wow, ever. Like, I, I adore it, and I've loved it. I mean, I remember my, my parents had just finished Buffy, so this is right when Netflix... This is back when you still had to put the, the disc in your Wii to watch Netflix. Ooh, yeah. So, like, we're looking at, like, 2011, 2010, something like that, and they just finished Buffy, and so they were looking for a new thing to watch, and it was like, because you watched Buffy, you should watch Firefly, and I, I got down there in the middle of, like, the fourth episode and was hooked immediately on it and have adored it since because... I mean, I'm a huge sci-fi guy. I'm a huge Western guy. And I think there has, ignoring the fact that it's only 14 episodes, there are very few series that are so wholly conceived from the first episode. And that includes like Buffy. You know, even even shows where that share a lot of the same writers and the same producers and stuff are not as well conceived as this. Show. Like, it's a really special moment in pop culture history, and that I think that's ignoring its uh, its cult legacy. Even I think it's just really good writing and really good character work. Mm, very much so. Yeah, which makes it one of the biggest fumbles in television history. They don't they got canceled because Fox couldn't figure out how to promote it. It's not only because we'll get into that in our, that's going to be our pop culture references. The incredibly frustrating, perfect storm of Firefly just getting absolutely tanked. Because if this show had been conceived three or four years later, even, I think it would have been, uh, it would have been lost. Like it would have been the big thing. Man, well, I'm about ready to burst here. Are we going to, do you want to jump in? Yeah, let's do spoilers. So, okay. Favorite episode, Seamus hit me. Oh God. Okay. Favorite episode. Um... God, favorite episode. I really do like the Janestown one. I think when uh, I think when Jane gets to have a lot of fun on screen, there's a lot of uh, colorful stuff that gets to happen. I really like the stuff with um, Saffron, the <laughs> Mal's wife. I think that was uh, those are a lot of fun. I I really uh, I liked when she came up that second time because you know I really I wasn't expecting to see any reoccurring characters really. In, in one season. But yeah, I, I get surprised a lot. The ending, yeah, the ending to Janestown in particular, I really like. Which part? Oh, his big speech about, like, him being a hero? Or do you mean, like, his conversation with Mal at the end? Yeah, yeah, his conversation with Mal. Just that, because we don't get a lot of moments of self-reflection with Jane. So I just thought that was really interesting for that character. Just having to come to terms with what happened in front of him and not fully understanding why it did. And I think that that, seer- that episode specifically, a lot of people consider that episode like the filler episode, which is weird because it really is only focused on the development of one character as opposed to, you know, bigger events where the crew is in more peril and stuff in, in other episodes. But I think really, especially when you look at it as a whole piece, including Serenity, which I don't want to get into too much, I think that's the one that's the best, that has the best summation of the show's themes of um, community and faith and that faith isn't religious that faith is the ability to believe in something so holy that you can devote yourself to it whether that is your crew or the independence or god or you know marriage or jane (laughs) 
Right, yeah. And it, it, that is such a... that Those are such... The subplots in that episode where you have River and Book in this really weird Beckett play of a, of a subplot where she's, like, deconstructing his Bible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's got his big Albert Einstein hair going on. Love that. And then you've got, of course, what starts out as just a really funny weird plot of Janestown where Jane's a, Jane's a uh, a staple of this small town of Canton's folklore. Oh, got him. <laughs> it turns it into something really, really heartfelt and the biggest character moment for Jane in the whole series. The biggest character moment for Jane is that episode where he wears that hat. Thank you very much. <laughs> I've got that hat in my in my room. Really? Like a knit hat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you tell me you don't want one of those right now? No, I'm saying that in, like, that's awesome. Like, that's totally dope. I want one of those jackets. Yeah, you want to get yourself a brown coat? Yeah, honestly, that that was one of the, that was one of my favorite, like, fashion pieces of all of this is, is Mal's coat. And honestly, his whole getup, I was thinking about just, like, it's very, you know, Nathan Drake, Rick O'Connell, Mal Reynolds. Well, I wanted to talk about that with you, Seamus, because as somebody who... Pl- you played Uncharted, obviously, before you watched Firefly, and they do not even try to hide the fact that Firefly is a huge influence on the Uncharted series. You know, from Greg Edmondson doing the score for Firefly, and then later doing the Uncharted series, and the fact that the character is named after and very clearly modeled after Nathan Fillion. And am I crazy, or didn't Nathan Fillion star in that unofficial uh, Uncharted fan film? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, I, I totally felt that uh, residually and like even at the time my base knowledge of like what Firefly was for sure. And I think even like the themes tie in really well. It's on a deeper level too of the idea of these characters bonding together through action which is like a core tenet of the Uncharted series is like you're on this adventure it's a solo player game but you're on this adventure with other characters and Firefly is all about putting together weird combinations of characters to be put into peril and bond together and rely on each other I'm a a big sucker for the found family trope so I really enjoyed this one of my favorite lines is actually uh, between Simon and Mal or he's like you came back you rescued me but you don't even like me you're part of my crew why are we still talking about this yeah it wasn't even an option in his head to leave him behind and the doctor grows on everybody a little bit even even jane i i really i like that guy a lot i think he was he was wonderful and i really thought that was the guy from the hunger games with the weird facial (laughs) hair and it is very much not that same guy it is really not those are two different guys but i can see that now ah Since we watched that uh, hour and a half long pilot together like four years ago, I've been like, oh, wow, yeah, that guy grew up to be in Hunger Games. (laughs) 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 Oh, so, so wrong. Zac Efron is little baby Simon in that one episode, huh? Yeah, his acting debut. Acting debut, Zac Efron. Firefly was his debut. Wow, that is wild. That is so strange. I, I want to talk about also from the same episode that Ricardo was just mentioning, which was the first episode I saw safe, where the Tams are kidnapped by hill people. <laughs> yeah. I love that even in the future, in space, we still got friggin' redneck hillbilly people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so many planets. And they're convinced that River's psychic abilities make her a witch with um, Erica Tazel. She she plays Rachel on Justified. And she's convinced that River's a witch, so they're going to burn her at the stake. And 
I like that was one of the first scenes I saw of Firefly and then of course you get the wonderful reveal of the crew coming in to save them and they're like the the, the girl's a witch and Mal goes yeah but she's our witch ooh the best ah the big damn heroes moment yes that's the <laughs> big damn heroes moment ain't we just man oh i loved it Loved it. I you reminded me about the last episode of the the series. I guess we're jumping all over the place, huh? Yeah, of course, for sure. Yeah, do let's talk. You want to talk about objects in space? The insane. I was so ready. I was one hundred percent accepting that River was now the ship. <laughs> I didn't even question it. I was like, oh yeah, w- all right. She's psychic and. She assimilated with the ship. She, that's how they were going to play it going forward if they got a second season. I'm here for it. Ugh, that creepy assassin guy that I would have loved if he wasn't continually threatening to, like, violate Kaylee. Oh. He would have been great if he didn't do that. Yeah, early. Early. <laughs> I think I think that is the episode that is I'm the most torn on in general, especially in light of everything that has happened with Joss Whedon. Oh yeah, that definitely paints a lot of that writing in a different light then, huh? Because that is, I think that other than the pilot is the one that he was the most directly involved in because he didn't write and direct most of this series. He wrote and directed the pilot and he wrote and directed the last episode and I think he wrote and directed maybe one more in between them so basically i just think that that one's a really weird situation where hold on one second i'm checking i want to i want to see about joss whedon and how many he did speaking of the last episode i watched this way back when in high school and this was back when it was on netflix so i wasn't really keeping track of what episode i was on so once objects in space ended i was like wait what what, that's it no there there has to be more there was time now there was time now So he also wrote the message, which is the one with um the 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 dead body that's not really dead. And oh yeah, the the old war buddy who wakes up. And he directed the train job. So he's not really attached to most of this series as directly as I think a lot of people give him credit for. So I okay, I guess this is as good a time as any to do this because there Buffy and Firefly often get painted as like Joss Whedon shows, and while they were obviously conceived and written partially by Joss Whedon. Both of those shows succeeded because they had absolutely astounding writers' rooms full of super, super talented writers that then went on to do crazy, like, their own projects that were super popular and good. So you've got, like, Tim Minear, who wrote and directed more episodes of the show than Joss Whedon did, who worked on Chicago Code and American Horror Story and 911. Yeah, I think he created the 911 shows, like 911 and 911 Lone Star. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, Jane Espenson, who wrote several of these episodes and also wrote lots of Buffy, who went on to create Warehouse 13 and worked on a bunch of other super good series. Like, I think she worked on on Dexter, maybe? Oh, okay. And de- and definitely worked on, like, Game of Thrones and Battlestar Galactica and Jessica Jones. So, uh, I, I mean, Drew Greenberg, who also worked on Dexter and Warehouse 13. You've got Thomas Wright, I think, did an episode of the show. Just, like, I mean, I could do literally all day how many amazing people were working behind the scenes of this show and, and Buffy to boot, which is not what this show is about, but I do think that a lot of people unjustly put a lot of credit on Joss Whedon, which I've always had a problem with, but especially now that so much has come to light about the the nature of Joss Whedon's onset behavior on 
on a lot of his projects. I think it's especially important for us to talk about the fact that there were so many other really talented and really good professional people working on these things. Yeah, definitely. I as uh, I'm a very new and very yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of Firefly now, and I'm coming in at a pretty rough time to be like a new Firefly fan, especially because of you know what you're saying is there is all this credit that's put on him. You know, I I I think he also wrote and directed Serenity, the movie. Yeah, I think which which is like the last big thing that Firefly ever did as well. Um, but you know, I think there is so much talent on here. I saw Tim Maneer. Is how you say that? I saw his name more times than I could even count. I, I started like really noticing that for sure. And you know, I hope that doesn't bog this incredible series down too much to be associated the way it is. And I think Tim Maneer honestly does the best parts of Firefly. Um, my personal favorite episode is out of gas i think that is just the best that's the one where it's like the time cuts they keep cutting back to yes i love that one where he's trying to get the engine part in and they keep cutting to him like running out of air right yes and they talk they said i don't know if you caught this Seamus, but they set that up for multiple episodes even in the pilot she's like i would really love a new catalyzer coil and he's like we can't afford one so you gotta make it work oh man i did not even realize they were talking about the same engine part mm-hmm. wow Hell yeah. So they are, they're working on that episode for a long time. That's the thing that Firefly, once again, I think is ahead of its time in that it is really focused on serialized storytelling, on on setting up several episodes in advance, things that come back later. Oh, this would have blew up up on streaming mm-hmm. oh god if only and so and you see a lot of things actually that are, are getting set up that don't even get paid off at all even in the movie like books passed <laughs> books passed for sure that's the most obvious one damn it anara has that vial oh yeah of something that she's going to inject i read about some like canceled storyline where she was gonna be like terminally ill or something they were gonna play out yeah and most of her a lot of her cryptic dialogue actually really leans into that yes it does and there a lot of people throughout the series ask her why she's on serenity and she essentially answers without answering that that's why but you only really realize that if you know that that storyline is working in the background so without it she's just a cryptic weirdo (laughs) (laughs) yeah it just makes her look so much weirder in the 14 episodes I'm trying to. Th- I'm trying to think. I mean, Train Job, really, really good. I think, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in our pop culture reference. But it had to function as a pilot, essentially, because it was the first episode that was actually aired uh, on Fox. And we'll talk. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the pop culture reference. But I think it does a really good job at being a pilot, even though obviously anybody who's watching this show now should watch it in the correct order, which I think most streaming services have it in. I think, and I not that anyone but Hulu's probably going to have it again because it's owned by Disney now. But I'm trying to think other. Other good episodes. We could talk. We could talk about the Reavers and everything involved with them. Man, yeah. Yeah, we should. T- I mean, that is the end game of of Firefly, obviously. And there are certain revelations uh, about the Reavers that come to light in Serenity. That really, they're just in the show men who have gone wild on the edge of space and are some of the darkest things I've ever seen in a pre-streaming television era. Yeah, they really. Uh, when they give those details about what the Reavers actually do to people, that's pretty harsh stuff. And show you some of it. Even. Yeah, that's true. Like at that uh, in in the bushwhacked episode, 
Yeah, yeah. All of them strung up on the on the roof. <laughs> so the whole angle they go with, because I like the idea a lot of like, yeah, they just like launched themselves to the edge of space, and enough generations of like crazy inbred psychos just like stayed on a couple ships, and they turned into like a tribe of murder psycho people. But the way they do it in Serenity is just so I don't know. It takes a little of that out of it for me, of just like that wacky scenario of how that would actually be. Like that is the real Space Hill people. Is the reavers in my mind but i mean there's a there's a brilliance to what it does in serenity and i I don't want to get too much into it but the uh, and again we're spoiling serenity here but the the fact that the alliance is ultimately responsible for the creation of the reavers a problem that they refuse to deal with and i there's a lot of really interesting implications to that the they've said i think that that would have been the end of season two of firefly or maybe season three is the revelation that the alliance created the reavers inadvertently god yeah that's that's maybe what it felt like to me when I was watching the movies that it, it felt a little uh, thrown in there halfway through the movie they kind of dropped that on you but now those characters that die in the movie would not have died in that at that point in the story I feel so bad for those characters but I mean they're obviously they're trying to navigate some of that but I mean let's talk about the they send these characters through the ringer there's hardly an episode where one of the characters does not get shot yeah definitely or it's sliced open river just like (laughs) takes that butcher knife and slices open Jane's chest at one point very fun literally in the pilot Kayla gets shot and almost dies oh yeah god but I mean like I think it avoids falling into cliche because of it's not just like there's a crazy guy on the ship every episode and he shoots one of the crew it's a really clever way to keep different people like incapacitated with in order for story to happen to put these characters in these odd pair-ups these odd situations like an episode that i actually wasn't allowed to watch by my parents uh when i first watched the show was war stories oh yeah this is definitely the darkest one (laughs) yeah they're really cutting off ears burning people slicing them up that's a great one and it it, i mean again another recurring character you got niska there who is another extreme case of nazi face And so, I mean, I think that is a terrific episode. All the characters that initially seem relatively one-dimensional have at least one episode where they show themselves outside of the role that they're usually in in the series. So Jane, who's this tough, morally ambiguous guy, gets Janestown where he learns a big lesson about uh, selflessness and the consequences for his actions. And Wash, who is normally designated as the comic relief character, gets, I mean, he goes through the most out of anybody but Mal or River in this show. I'd say. Yeah, he definitely, he has to like, be physically tortured at at the same time, wrestle with his emotional insecurities with his wife and his captain. But, I mean, the scene of them arguing and and trying to keep each other riled up enough to stay alive is the exact right balance of super terrifying, heartbreaking, and kind of funny. Yeah, definitely. Oh, man. That is, uh... Even I was getting a little... I don't know. I was turning away a little bit. They were really going after him there, but I I thought that all of the dialogue when they're just, like, being brutalized was was gold. And the fact that Zoe doesn't even hesitate to choose Wash. Oh, yeah. Is beautiful. And, I mean, that's also an episode where we get to learn a lot more about Shepard Book and the fact (laughs) the Bible's fuzzy on the subject of kneecaps. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, there should have been a Shepherd book show. I'm telling you. Goram, I'm telling you. Hey, there you go, Seamus. You're getting it now. <laughs> I'm going to really... I've got all this slang stuck in my head now. It's all rotten and Gorams and Shinies and inexplicable Chinese. Yeah, exactly. I'll be saying all these all these catchphrases forevermore if I really think about it, you know? I... Hey. <laughs> Are you happy, Claire? Are you happy? <laughs> That's the only way I can think of putting it in. You already took folk. Lore. I think I I think and like sing to myself the Fruity Odie Bar song from Serenity also constantly. <laughs> do, you, do you really? I really do. Uh, not to quickly. I just want to quickly touch on Serenity. Who was the guy that played Mister Universe? Why is he so familiar? Oh, David Crumoltz, Bernard the Elf. There it is. That's yeah. That's it. Another thing I want to talk about about this show is the fact that while I think it does, like obviously it has decent African American representation. It has multiple characters who are confirmed to be queer. Um, but I mean we already talked about the fact that it has a lot of Chinese influence, and there are no. Asian characters and the only two Jewish characters in the entirety of the universe are like Judas allegories who immediately turn on the crew to the point where I mean David Crumbles is given 30 silver yeah oh god for uh giving up Mal to the 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 operative in Serenity. So that's not great. Yeah, not quite. Definitely not. I don't know. There's a whole damn verse they could have pulled from I feel like of very interesting characters from every background but it was 2002 what a truly horrible time to be alive (laughs) (laughs) oh man even like even like i laughed at the shepherd books like big hair thing but also like just laughing at a, a black gentleman's curly hair is a little weird i don't know yeah again it's like some some of the stuff is a little bit easier to be like okay fine but a lot of it is again especially in light of the whole joss whedon controversy a little uncomfy and it just it sucks because this show is so good and everybody involved with it cared about it so much well, I'm going to be rewatching this on the regular, I think, and trying my best to just enjoy it for the just amazing space western that it is. It's definitely going to push me to finally watch Cowboy Bebop as well, because I can only imagine it is almost entirely inspired by that anime from the 90s. They're very similar. Yeah, I can imagine. Cowboy Bebop is a lot sadder. <laughs> Oh, okay. Just because it, it infuses a lot of uh, noir stuff, too, so you get some really heavy like themes for certain episodes. Well, I imagine we'll be talking about the comic whenever we can get our hands on it in some capacity. We've been talking about maybe doing some YouTube exclusives for that. And we will be back to talk about Serenity, I imagine, as well, because I, I, I mean, I know we'll talk about it, Seamus, before we do it on air, but I am really excited to talk about it with you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, real quick, Disney owns FX, right? They own Fox as, a, as an entirety, including FX, yeah. Okay, so they own Fox, they own FX. They put Timothy Oliphant in The Mandalorian, and they own Firefly, so that means they own Nathan Fillion. They could put him in The Mandalorian. They just gotta get all their cowboy actors together and put him where they need to be. It's a crossover, man. Maybe, maybe you know, The Mandalorian bumps into, you know, the Firefly bumps into serenity <laughs> yes i always thought the razor crest looked awesome but then it kind of looks you know what those twin side engines kind of looks like serenity a little bit to me i mean the cultural impact of this show cannot really be understated 
I think, or cannot really be overstated, I think. Yeah, no no Firefly, no Mandalorian, for sure. There's Oh, Mandalorian is so, I mean, Dave Filoni specifically, I think is super influenced by Firefly, not only on the Mandalorian, but Rebels. I mean, Rebels is Firefly for kids. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, this show has such a strong cult following to this day for a reason. And that's the perfect setup, Ricardo, for our pop culture reference coming up right next. So for today's pop culture reference, we're going to be having a conversation about Firefly's history and cult status and also talking a little bit more about our our friend Joss Whedon. Not Um, our friend. Not our friend. Because, (laughs) no, not our friend. Personal friend of the show, Joss Whedon, ladies and gentlemen, he's here. (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. But, so basically, Firefly, the inception of Firefly came after Joss Whedon read a book called the killer angels which if neither of you have read is astounding it is a book about the battle of gettysburg where perspective shifts every chapter between people on both sides of the conflict and so you've got like generals all the way down to foot soldiers who were going to get their heads blown off by cannonballs you know and so he became fascinated by the idea of like what it would be like to just live in a world where you lost a war for your independence and that's kind of where the idea of firefly was born and i do want to talk about that's always been an interesting like oh that is a really good book and i could kind of see how you that would get you thinking but I do want to say, it, it seems to me that Joss Whedon does have a lot, some some racial issues, and now it makes me just a little bit more uneasy, the fact that the brown coats are so tied to the Confederacy, and like, very, dis- like, intentionally tied to the Confederacy. Some might say directly inspired by. That's what he got out of that book. <laughs> you know who was the, the the real heroes of that book? The Confederacy. I mean, it is, I mean, that book is definitely about the fact that, and this is just true, that many of the grunts who fought for the Confederacy didn't really like, ha- they didn't own slaves, they didn't have particular political stake in the war, they were doing it because it's what they thought they were supposed to be doing. And that ultimately, to, uh, to fully understand the history of the American South and to understand the history of the Civil War, you have to understand that the working class in the South was also deeply exploited by the wealthy landowners down there. You know, like that they fought, they died and fought in a war that they were not really going to prosper from that much. It almost reminds me of like a all quiet on the Western Front. Yeah, it's, it's very similar kind of the perspective switch over to the Imperial German army in a conflict that doesn't usually get that kind of highlight. I mean, to be fair, in All Quiet on the Western Front, um, it was written by a German author. So there's a little, you know, as opposed to, I imagine Jeff Shara, who wrote The Killer Angels, probably is a union sympathizer. Yeah, one would think. But also, I mean, the thing about World War One is, and I don't want to go off on a huge tangent right now, is that World War One is a conflict that was completely unnecessary and that there were real there there were people who did atrocities and stuff like that but there were no real bad guys there were no real aggressors it was just like everybody in europe was like yeah let's fight it sounds fun yeah we got to try out all our new guns and stuff and so when i mean the civil war definitely like there is a 
there is a wrong side to the Civil War. Oh, yes. But I think, I do think that is an apt comparison in that it is definitely about how war tears apart the lives of people who they ha- who have nothing to do with the stakes of the war. Man, I can only imagine a lot of this war talk is going to get cut, but I do want to steer that back towards Firefly somehow. But I mean, okay, so we'll do... Talking about actual Firefly, I just thought it was pertinent to talk about Josh Whedon in that light because it is a an interesting... The genesis of the show is in a weird kind of place, I think, especially because the brown coats are so very clearly... Li- like, in the right, not necessarily because I don't think the Alliance planets don't have a better quality of life than the, than the outer rim planets, but because it's clear that the Alliance is far too involved in the lives of, you know, everyday folk. You know, almost like an Imperial and a Rebellion type of conflict that one might think about yes when annie and i watched the pilot together my girlfriend annie and i watched the pilot together and she was like oh so this is literally just like han solo running from the (laughs) empire (laughs) yeah she's not wrong but basically the series was picked up by fox which whedon was still and in a lot of the writers from the series and directors were still working on buffy at the time and so they were kind of splitting their attention between buffy and firefly and mal reynolds was actually written for uh nicholas brendan who played xander one of the main characters on buffy but because he was still on buffy he couldn't do mal which it's really hard to picture him playing yeah is he a nathan fillion type or would that have just been a whole different show i mean he could be a charming rogue for sure but he's not as intimidating as nathan fillion and i and i think he's too like i know nathan fillion's really smarmy but like i i don't know if i could buy the kind of tough guy sincerity that nathan fillion is able to pull off i don't know we got we got the right choice i think and i mean he's great as xander don't get me wrong that is a great i love buffy we gotta do that buffy episode man i i have not seen any buffy but anyway, so Fox picked it up, but they decided that the pilot was too long and too boring for people to get into the show. So they said, your second episode has to be your pilot. And so they did the train job, which serves as essentially the pilot for the show. And so they introduce, they reintroduce all the characters. And considering the fact that it's very clearly written to be that kind of that kind of pilot, it feels really strong still. Like, it doesn't feel rushed or crammed. It's it's I think it's probably the most, like, problem of the week like, that's definitely, like, a Mandalorian episode where he has to rob a train. Anyway, so they aired it completely out of order uh, of the originally intended run. And there are things that happen before, uh, like, events that very clearly build on each other. But because TV shows weren't really being written like that yet, Fox didn't care. They're just like, people will watch whatever's on. So they just aired it super out of order. Um, the pilot, Serenity, was, I think, the last episode that they aired, actually. Oh, why that is so the worst and then the three they didn't air three of the episodes they didn't air heart of gold trash or the message why why was it just like the content didn't meet the standards or what they canceled them and they didn't want to air any more firefly so they just didn't wow awful especially which is especially surprising to me because i feel like trash is definitely more what the network was looking for where it's like fun heisty times more than a lot of the episodes are. Yeah, that was super, like, job of the week, fun heist stuff. And if you said they're out of order, that episode doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless you've seen Our Mrs. Reynolds. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, Our Mrs. Reynolds was the third episode aired. So, that entire situation is rough. Not to mention the fact that Fox really, really did not know how to market 
as Ricardo said earlier, the series because they were trying to frame it as some kind of like quippy action shoot 'em up, which I mean there are quips and there is action, but it's a much darker tone than what the what the network really wanted, and that is a big part of the reason that it was canceled, is because they told them to tone down the violence. And they wouldn't. Ridiculous. There's not even, there's barely any, like, like they shoot guns that are, like, laser sounds, man. Like, it's going to just be, like, a puff of smoke or whatever. (laughs) Like, there's some stabbings and slicings and the like, but, like, most of the gun violence is, like, very Star Wars-y. Unrelated, but I really like that in the future, guns still look like revolvers, even though they shoot lasers. The Mandalorian, anyone? Most of the guns are gun guns, though, in this show. Yeah, but, like, there there was one episode, I think it was, like, the second or third one, where there's a gunfight, and there's not even, like, gun effects, it's just the noise, <laughs> which really threw me, but, like, after a while, it does just start looking like a regular gun that's making a future-y gun noise. But, like, as far as I know, nobody, like, bleeds ever unless they're, like, cut on. I mean, they get stabbed and shot i mean kaylee's surgery is pretty graphic in the pilot oh wait no i guess they do bleed when they get shot too because like the like there's like the doctor gets shot at one point kaylee gets like shot in the gut yeah you know what never mind i'm stupid i do kind of understand that the violence was pretty intense for audiences at the time who were not used to seeing that kind of violence on network television but so it was basically a combination of the fact that it was aired out of order it was marketed poorly it wasn't what the network wanted it to be, and I have also heard reports that there was a young hotshot executive that wanted to show he was like not messing around by canceling stuff. And so, all of it was this kind of perfect storm in getting Firefly canceled. And, again, I said it earlier that if this show had come out three years later, I think it would have been huge i would have been lost i think you know in a lot of ways yeah that's what execs tend to do because it's happened way too many times that it's become kind of like a a trope where they'll bring in a new exec because there was a company switch around and for whatever reason because he didn't make it and he wasn't under supervision of it cancel everything it's my turn now everything i make is going to be a hit oh god and then there we have the tragedy of Firefly. Uh, I know there were a couple like mail-in campaign, like fan campaigns, to get it like picked up again for a second season or to like get picked up by another network, but you know didn't really have the power of what like a hashtag can do now, like with what the Snyder Cut can do, and it just kind of fizzled out until the was it like three years later in two thousand five when Serenity came out. I don't, I don't know if that had anything to do with the fan campaigns or if they just were... I mean, it, it did a lot, definitely. And, I mean, I know the the cast and Joss Whedon and the writers and the... Direct, like, basically everybody involved with the show was like, I'm not going to give up on this show. <laughs> <laughs> and it, there was a lot of fan campaigning. And they are really they really are the reason that the movie got made and that just doesn't happen. It happens a little bit more now, but especially back before the internet was big enough to really enact change like that. Fan campaigns did not save canceled TV shows, especially ones that only 11 episodes aired of. 
Hashtag restore the verse. The also the fact that the DVD sets DVD sets sold super well of Firefly, understandably so, and I think a lot of people would loan them to friends. I mean, my Firefly set R. A. Kyle has had for four years. So shout out R. A. Kyle. Um, <laughs> you can cut that, Ricardo. No, it's the only way you're gonna get it back <laughs> is if he listens to this. But, I mean, yeah, Universal took the chance on making this movie, and you can definitely tell, I would say, that it is trying to both service as a finale for the series and also it bring in audiences who have no idea what this is. Yeah, that's a problem a lot of movies based on TV shows have. Where they That is what they have, because it is a movie, it's a bigger budget, so they gotta appeal to more people. It's, it's a very tough balancing act to do. You know, try to bring in new people while also catering to, you know, your core fan base. And we'll get into this more when we cover Serenity, I'd say. But, I mean, for the most part, I do think it does a good job that there are definitely some issues with the film that are caused by the fact that they're trying to appeal to other people. But, yeah, I mean, that's basically the end of the story. It's continued on in comic books and a couple of novels that I think... Since Disney bought Firefly, they un they made all of the stuff that was produced by Dark Horse not canon anymore, and I think that maybe includes the novels. I'm not really sure where those fall. Come on, Disney, just just let us have this. The new Disney the new Disney stuff's not super good, but I'm excited about the brand new verse comic, which is the reason we're doing this sh- this episode. I mean. I- at least that shows me that Disney cares enough about the Firefly universe to like do something with it. Maybe that means more content someday soon, which would be lovely if they handled it well, but you know, I'll still read those other those dark horse ones and and give them my full belief. What would you, I have pretty much come to terms with the fact that I don't really want to see any more Firefly. I would maybe like to see if anything, the dark horse comic, which ended on a cliffhanger get resolved. And like, even if it's just like a one shot comic book, but I mean, I'm pretty content now because Ron glass is dead. The rest of the cast is so old. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really like, I, I love the show i love it so much and i do wish there was more but i just don't see a way that i would really enjoy it being revived by disney which i'm sure it will so i i would love to hear how you guys would kind of take that um well i think before you might have mentioned is one of those dark horse comics like a shepherd book origin story it is it's like a one-shot shepherd book origin Oh man, because there's my wish list series. Is a young shepherd series that ends when he meets the crew of Serenity. It's like his whole whatever. I really, I assume he was some badass criminal mastermind before he turned to religion, but something like that, or you know, that video game, or just a whole different crew of people in the same universe would be interesting. But uh, you know, that's that's a lot of different stuff. Ricardo, what about you? Uh, I agree with you, video game. Like, not uh, just a crappy mobile game, but like a triple-A, big-budget video game. Because 
you know, like you said, they're all kind of older now with video games. You kind of age them down. You can place it wherever you want in the timeline. Or, you know, I could even see like, uh, what's that one game, Eve Online, where it's just like super massive scale spaceship travel stuff. I could see something like that, where it's like very focused on like the ship and traveling on the ship and stuff. I don't know. I'm, I'm new as a fan, so I've got a lot of stuff I would love to see this like molded into, but I think I'm, I'm going to have to check out that book before anything else it might be a while if they ever do uh, like a full-on reboot like a new show you'd have to get like all new people i don't think you like you can bring in some of the old cast as like cameos but it's got to be a whole different set of circumstances i think i'd probably rather see that although the idea of brand new verse if they were interested in turning that to like a disney plus show or something could work which is where Zoe and Wash's daughter is the new captain of Serenity. Oh, that's cool. And so you've got like old Mal and old Zoe kind of playing background roles. That could almost work, I think. But um, but I agree with Ricardo that I'd probably rather just see them do a full reboot at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. So yeah, that's pretty much a really long-winded conversation <laughs> about the background of Firefly's cancellation and cult status. But yeah, we're going to move on now to our pop quiz. Okay, folks, here we are after a week hiatus from our regularly scheduled programming and a week where you guys didn't win a single thing. Ricardo is still ahead nine points to Seamus's seven, and because Seamus won the last time that anybody won, it's gonna be Ricardo's turn to pick the category. So your options, Ricardo, are Indiana Jones 5 or Firefly. Uh, you know, let's go with uh, Firefly. All right, you boys, you know the rules, but for those of you playing along at home, the first one of you to give me the correct answer to the question wins. If you both say it at the same time or neither of you can get the correct answer, we'll move on to our other category for our tiebreaker. Okay, the category is Firefly. The look of the Alliance officers might be familiar to some viewers. Their armor and uniforms were reused from what other cult sci-fi property? Starship, Starship Troopers. Troopers. Seamus by a hair. Oh, what? Yes. I'll give you the bonus, too. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris was going... It was in talks to be the doctor in Firefly at one point. And that's my little bonus. You said that the exact same time. <laughs> hey, I was first in my cans, too, pal. I don't know. L look for it in the, uh, in the edit. Just so everybody heard, the correct answer was Starship Troopers, that the Alliance uniforms were used over... So yeah, Seamus, that is that is this actually your comeback streak? Because you are only one behind now. This is either two or three real weeks in a row, besides last week of my crushing defeat. So we'll see, Ricardo. I've I've only ever been ahead of him like once, I think. So I'm pretty excited. I feel like it was like right at the beginning. I feel like you were at, at two and he was at one, and he just overtook you and never looked back. Oh, my confidence peaked at like the second question. <laughs> All right, now let, let, let's move on to Howling Commandos. Now it's time for Howling Commandos, where we break down our weekly episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We got a, we got a doozy this week, fellas. I, I'm very excited. Yeah, as always, full spoilers. Oh yes, full spoilers. My god, there's so much that happens in this one. Uh, there's so much drama. <laughs> There really is. There really is. Freaking John Walker's getting his comeuppets earlier than I thought he would, if I'm being honest. I thought he was going to get protected for a while. Yeah, which, um, the opening of this episode, let's talk, let's talk about that. 
the intro, uh, like kind of the direct aftermath of the beatdown is what you're talking about, right? Where he's just like sprinting away and just like having weird flashbacks to him being watched. He's still got blood all over the shield. And then we have like a totally, I don't know, it caught me off guard to have an awesome fight scene so early in an episode, but between Bucky and Sam and John Walker, who's like totally tweaking out. Yeah, they corner him. It's like, Come on, man. You know what has to happen now. Yeah, right? Ugh. There's no way you can continue to hold that <laughs> I shield. I was not, to be honest, super impressed with that fight sequence It because it was a lot of Walker gets one of them on the ground, is about to smash the shield into them, and then the other one saves <laughs> saves their partner. Yeah, he does. His power, his like special move is like that, just like two-handed shield slam thing that he did to kill that other guy, and he keeps trying for it. So I, I thought this I thought this fight went on a little bit too long, but I did like the emotion. I thought Sebastian Sebastian Stan did a really good job this episode. Oh, definitely. And you could see actually the pain of him having to fight somebody that looks like Captain America. Man, yeah, he's he's doing work in this series. Just between like all the, those like flashbacks to Wakanda and the stuff he's coming out with, like in this episode, when he's talking about Steve's notebook and his own you know hangups with trying to come to terms with a lot of the stuff he's done. You know, it's, he's doing, he's doing good work. So, I mean, this is really a character episode, which I loved. I love, once again, there was not a lot of, not a lot of action after that first sequence. And it's mostly, let's fix up a boat. (laughs) Oh man, we get two montages this episode, guys. Two montages. Yeah. A lot of boat play this episode. I love the boat stuff. The boat stuff's wonderful. We, we break Walker's arm in the first 10 minutes, and then the rest is boats. His jokes about, like, why don't you use your metal arm? Wow, I'm right-handed. I don't often think about it. Love it. Uh, yeah, this, I mean, this is the kind of episode I want all the time. I loved it. I was going to say, Walker is such a compelling villain, antagonist, whatever you want to call him. Uh, his uh, his freak out at the, the hearing. Oh, that was so good. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I I heard those words and I was thinking about um, Isaiah, who we get another very interesting scene with this episode, but like everything he was saying about like, I am what you made me and I'm being punished for what you told me to do. Basically, it's it's we're 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 definitely hovering around that theme a lot on on this series. And it's it's pretty harsh when it comes down to it. But I agree, Ricardo, that that speech he he gives at the hearing is, is something something powerful. I am so shocked by a Marvel property's ability to so blatantly discuss things um, like international conflict created by American aggression and the mistreatment of African Americans by the U.S. government as test subjects and, and literally completely explicitly discuss it. I mean, obviously you're discussing it under the guise of superheroes, but... I mean, the fact that somebody in this episode outright says Americans will never accept or white Americans will never accept a black Captain America. I was just about to bring up that line because he follows it up with, I don't want to, I might misquote a little bit, but he says no self-respecting black man would want to be that symbol for people too, which is really harsh to hear. And then we kind of get to see Sam wrestle with what that is. That whole Isaiah sequence, crown jewel of this episode, man, that was incredible. Yeah. Oh, 
heartbreaking stuff. All the more details about his prison time, about how he's experimented on. Uh, I saw something posted uh, before I came on here today about the parallels between his story of going to rescue his POW friends versus the scene in the first Captain America where he goes to save his POW friends. 100%. Because... In the first Avenger, that is the moment where Steve becomes Captain America. That's the moment where he is regarded as a hero and heralded. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones is like, this is the guy. And in, I mean, in Isaiah's story, that, basically, that white men are awarded for playing cowboy, for breaking the rules to get the job done, and black men are punished for it. Oh, God. Such heavy stuff here, but I mean, you said it's interesting that Disney would do like so blatantly and openly talk about something like this, but it feels like, you know, maybe a little ironic for the like national global conglomerate that Disney is and represents and like what they do, but it is, it's also almost refreshing to see like the people making this show they know they have the biggest audience on the planet so they're gonna like talk about the stuff that they need to talk about even if it is in context of like superhero stuff i mean that's the thing you have to you have to remember that obviously disney's a mega corporation but it's also a mega corporation that is funding creations by artists artists that have agendas and have things to say and have talent and, like, I, I, I think part of the reason that we are so surprised when we see something like this from a Disney property is the fact that Disney is so famously controlling of its creators that... Yeah, they usually like to play it safe, but there was, there was no sugarcoating, really, for this one. God, it's, it's really wild to see, but I, I like to see that kind of folded in with the fantasy of Marvel and how they can make those allegories is incredibly impressive and still very saddening. Yeah, there are some takes out there like, oh, I don't want politics in my superhero whatever is, which there's always going to be because it's been there from the beginning, but especially for something called Captain America. Yeah, no kidding. God, yeah, I was, I was going to say, do you think... <laughs> Do you think they're going to, like, get in trouble from, like, the right-wing audience? Of, like, this is too far, guys. I mean, I said to Annie this morning, I said, I think that... I mean, I didn't mean this in a bad way at all. But I was like, it's almost like Marvel forgot that their target demographic is early 20s white guys. <laughs> yeah, God. Uh, good to see him branching out, though. I mean, as an early 20s white guy, I'm all for this. I would like to make that clear. <laughs> yeah. But I, 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 I do expect there to be some backlash on this. But also, I think, I mean, just like how there are moments in this series of quiet that we get because it's a TV show, I think there are also moments that they're able to take more of a chance on politically, if that makes sense because it's a tv show with a smaller budget smaller audience mm -hmm. that being said i want to completely change gears and talk about the power broker because julia louis dreyfus is here baby oh is that your confirmed theory julia louis dreyfus is the power broker is that like did, was that name that she said supposed to be like the name of the power broker i mean i don't know i, I did we i i didn't look up anything about her i just assumed we have a mysterious celebrity cameo in the penultimate episode that's gotta be the power broker right i i was i'm hoping i think julia louis dreyfus is awesome and she was definitely like slaying it on her 30 seconds of screen time this episode so val i'm into it if you don't remember the name it's contessa valentina allegra de la fontaine 
right. Why do you remember that? <laughs> I'm looking at a Wikipedia right now. Oh, man. Well, I'll remember Val. And one of her aliases is Madame Hydra. Oh, evil Avengers. Oh, so maybe if it's John. So I guess if she's going to John Walker, then it's very possible that they're setting up Hydra Cap then. That could be fun. Because, yeah, Walker already has the serum, right? He doesn't need more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Ooh. But he's been disavowed by his government like Tom Cruise before him. <laughs> no shield, no government powers. He can't go around saying, I am Captain America. He can't say that anymore. But he still is, bro. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. After credit scene, y'all. Let's let's talk. Wait, was there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wait, did you not get my text? No, I didn't get your text. Oh, no. My man, sir. Wait, you responded to it. What are you doing? Did you? Pretty sure you did. I, I, I don't know. Okay, fill me in. I'm so sorry. Yeah, in true WandaVision fashion, the last two episodes, it seems, are always going to have some after credits goodies, and we get a little John Walker uh, DIY project that looks real janky. What does he... What's he making? Ricardo? Oh, baby. He's uh, doing a five-minute craft version of The Shield. He's making his own. Oh, no. It's, like, made out of, like, iron discs. It's, like, gonna break immediately (laughs) as soon as he tries to use it, is what I'm thinking. It's just made of regular metal. It's it's spray-painted. Yeah, it's, it's looking janky, but, I mean... Maybe if uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus gives it a little uh, extra charge, maybe that'll help him out. A vibranium upgrade? Yeah. Um, I checked the group chat, Seamus. There is no text. What? Um, but I will be sure to check it out right after right after we're done here. John Walker can't stop ripping people off, because that after credit scene starts with, like, a blank screen and the, the hammer banging, just like Tony Stark. Oh, I was gonna say, like, it very, it very much felt like... You know, John Walker built this in a cave with a box of scraps. You know, very, just like bare bones. And I don't know. I can't see that shield holding up unless he gets that something upgrade. Unless he, unless he gets some vibranium from, from Julia Louis-Dreyfus or something. I mean, we're going to have Falcon's Wakandan Captain America vibranium flight suit next episode. Uh, I, I hate I hate the tease, but I know it's going to be so cool when it gets paid off next week. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. Oh, yeah, John Walker rips Falcon's wings off. Yeah, oh, man. Rips his wings off when he's doing cool stuff. I like all the Falcon's fighting moves. I think he's very cool. But They figured out how to make him a compelling, like, not since Winter Soldier has he had a compelling fight style, but they're like, wait, what if we did a good job with this? And then... <laughs> oh man they're actually friends in this episode now too which felt so good they're like still kind of busting each other's balls a little bit like we're acquaintances who used to have a friend in common or whatever but they're like smiling bucky bucky gets a like a night's sleep without nightmares on the couch at sam's family's house they're playing catch dude yeah he lets them stay with them He's, Bucky's trying to smash uh, Sam's sister. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think more just to screw with him. Wait, whose name is Sarah, which is Steve's mom's name. Oh, my goodness. Which I hadn't thought about until I heard Bucky say it. Well, that's settled. Bucky is going to be Sam's brother-in-law by the end of this. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Just also, we don't have to touch on it for long, but I liked Sam's Captain America training montage. I thought that was real dope. Oh, yeah. Gave me Creed vibes with the whole slow-mo running. Totally. Hell, yeah. Very much feels like he's earning his inevitable Captain whatever title or whatever he takes the mantle of because I assume, you know, he gave his wings to Torres. Torres is going to do his thing. I don't remember what he's called, but... Uh, It's just the Falcon. He's setting up a new Falcon. Oh, he just... Oh, cool. All right. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, he's got the... Yeah, if he's got the wings, that makes a lot of sense, so... Yeah, with with the speech, and the, the big talk with Isaiah about how, like, Captain America specifically would be, like, a messed up title to take. Like, maybe he... Sam is gonna go with something else? I don't know what that would be. U.S. agent. Here we... Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, man. I like Torres in it that he's, I think probably, I might be wrong, he's literally the only Latino in these movies who's not Michael Pena. Yes. That is trash. I can't think of anybody else. Jeez. That's garbage. Like, finally someone in a kind of a hero role who's not just, I'm your bumbling sidekick and I got a, I got a van. Hey, watch what you say about my man Luis Ricardo. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard that theory that Luis is actually the big Ant-Man during the Endgame fight? You never heard that? <laughs> no. Yeah, there's something about how they like they show giant Ant-Man, and then the next cut away is to like regular-sized Ant-Man. And they're like, well, like, how do you, who's the big one, you know? And it's got to be Michael Pena. <sighs> Imagine if they'd had Luis driving the van. Oh, in hell. Oh. We should be writing for Marvel. What are you doing, Disney? Uh, with that, I think we're I think we're gonna move on to our to our rec center. Real quick, just uh, Zemo, just because I like talking about Zemo. Oh shoot, Zemo! Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Zemo's going back to the raft. You know, he's getting not what I thought the Wakandans were gonna do to him. If I'm being honest, I expected a straight up execution. <laughs> but that's also not how the Wakandans roll. To be fair, like T'Challa's very like nobody needs to die that doesn't have to die. Yeah, that's fair. He's going to break out of the raft. Come on. That's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, everybody breaks out of the raft literally all the time. It's the least secure prison in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. (laughs) The idea of the raft, I think, would be so much cooler in this universe if they had more villains that weren't just straight up dead. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean... Justin Hammer, um, the Mandarin. Oh, he's coming back. That's right. The uh, uh, the the thinker. Or no, not the thinker. The leader, Mister Mind. Mister. <laughs> <laughs> like the idea of Zemo going to the raft on paper, if it if it was full of more villains, it'd be really cool. And maybe that's where he establishes the Thunderbolts, and that he gets like a big gang breakout, and we got all these villains from previous movies. Well, you know, we've got we've got one episode i bet there's gonna be i bet it's gonna be the after credit scene it's gonna be like like tombs from spider-man and i don't know what his deal is with venom or anything but i forgot that he was still walking around yeah houston like wait no but he's out of prison in the morbius trailer (laughs) ah jesus i don't know they'll do something fun i feel like they're setting up for like zemo's going to the raft but that's a dumb place to keep him because he'll break out i feel like it's gonna be a ploy in some way i do like the idea that zemo is just so dangerous that he like he doesn't break out through like a brute strength or because he has any particular amount of health he's just like smart as hell and super slick Mm -hmm. it's like a it's like i've always liked the idea of like characters who essentially treat the world like a big rube goldberg machine yeah 
and just have um a it's like a chess game where it's just probability of like what's gonna happen if i do this and that's what that's how zemo seems to be playing in this show yeah that, that breakout sequence from the german prison where he's just like walking in perfect pace opening the door for the riot guard just like slipping past real quiet like it's 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 real good all right but let's move on to the rec center boys Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. What do you guys got? Well, in light of one of my new favorite series that only got one season, it really did remind me of one of my old favorites. Uh, it's a British TV series, only got one season, really breaks my heart. Uh, Snuffbox, if you've ever heard of it, and I doubt you have, but uh, it was like a dark comedy mix between a sketch show and a sitcom about two executioner hangmen in modern day London. Whoa. Jesus. <laughs> it's super bonkers. It's all goofy garbage. It's like the funniest, weirdest stuff. Uh, Matt Berry is one of the stars if you're a big fan of the What We Do in the Shadows show. Laszlo. Exactly. He, You know he's a treat. Uh, also with Rich Fulcher. He is just another absolute treasure. Uh, he, d he does a lot of voice work and stuff, but he was also, like, pretty big on English television as an American uh, actor. So, you know, he got one season in, like, 2006. <laughs> it's all gold, but it's all lost to time. So, uh, shout out to my Uncle Matt, who showed me this ages ago and just corrupted my young mind. <laughs> what about you, Ricardo? What do you got this week? Uh, you know what? This, I guess this is kind of a wreck set in a roundabout way, but I was lucky enough to see an advanced screening of In the Heights. And I, oh, oh my, I can't express how much I love this movie. This, the cinematography, all the, the, the dance choreography perfection uh the musical numbers all straight bangers as per usual when it comes to you know Lin-Manuel Miranda and just the emotionality of this movie just really gets me I was crying at the sad parts crying at the parts that weren't even sad it was just just a lot of pride I don't know I just I love this movie I love it so much check it out when it comes on HBO Max in like June June 11th I, believe. I was gonna say I, I watched this one too but I love the idea Ricardo of you rec centering something that nobody's gonna be able to watch for two months <laughs> <laughs> this is just the pre-approval of Salgado over here. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about it. Garrett, you're the only other person I know that's seen it. So real quick, you want to just general thoughts, not to distract from your record. Oh, center, out but. outstanding. Just, I mean, John M. Chu is a really, really brilliant director who, I, I think this is the first straight musical that I've seen use on-screen graphics in such a new and exciting way. It's like, what if you applied the theory of Scott Pilgrim graphics to musical numbers in a traditional musical? Which I think is just insane. Um, really compelling lead performances, really banging songs, a runtime that's a little bit lengthy, but I mean, I'm glad that I got to spend as much time with the characters as I did. So like... Definite cosign on your rec center, Ricardo. Really, really good movie. Yeah, I definitely can't wait to check that one out myself. I missed that advanced screening because I am a forgetful little bastard, but I will make sure to catch it when it comes. I know, Ricardo, you've been anticipating this movie for years now, so I'm, I'm glad it lived up to the, to the hype. Uh, Garrett, I think you're going to close us out here, buddy. What do you got? Well, how could I not 
recommend the Dark Horse Firefly comics. If you are a fan of Firefly and Serenity, I really, really advise you to check out uh, those Dark Horse comics because they close up a lot of the gaps that the TV show left unanswered, including, as I uh, mentioned to Seamus earlier, The Shepherd's Tale, which goes into Shepherd Book's backstory, but also has several comics set between the show and the movie, meaning that you get to see a little bit more of those discrepancies in the world and the characters sewn up and feel a little bit more natural. And, I mean, I definitely will be loaning them to you boys when we're all back in person so that you can talk about them with me. But I think they're genuinely really well written and I can hear those voices of the actors saying the lines of the characters. Like, I think they're really impressively adapted considering the fact that most of the comics are not written by people that wrote for the show. The one is written by Patton Oswalt, so... Oh, that's cool. Yeah, man, I will definitely take those off your hands and give them a read. I I'm I need more Firefly content as it is now. So, yeah, that's I I can only imagine that those are a lot of fun considering just how content hungry most of anybody who's a Firefly fan Firefly fan is. So, that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can tweet us at PCR underscore podcast. Find us on Instagram at that same handle. Like us on Facebook and email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Next week, we're covering Mortal Kombat. Coming to HBO Max and theaters, we'll see if it does the kind of numbers that Godzilla vs. Kong is doing or if that was a fluke. Yeah, can't wait. I'm uh, very excited for Mortal Kombat. I'm very, very much looking forward to it, boys. You can take that leg, boil the sea, but you can't take this guy from me. Fade out on this, Ricardo. You can't take this guy from me.